Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ecclesia this week. Um, glad to have you join us online uh, or watching later on the recording. And uh, man, we look forward to hopefully meeting in person pretty soon. The numbers keep going down and um, and people keep getting their vaccinations and all those things. <clears throat> I think it won't be too long. So uh, we anticipate that day. We are all tired of not getting to see each other in person and hug necks and all that. So um, if you happen to be with us, uh, for the first time, just surfing by and happen to catch it. Uh, this is uh, Ecclesia Hattiesburg, um, televangelist edition, and we uh, are non-denominational uh, faith community that meets in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We spend most of our time and energy on money and everything else. Uh, just trying to serve our community, uh, leave this world a little better than we found it. Uh, and so um, <clears throat> this is a strange time in our history to have to do all this, but we are glad to feel like we're getting close to the end of it. Um, I want to give you a quick announcement, which is, um, as uh, those of you who are part of Ecclesia know, each Christmas we um, take up a kind of special month-long offering, and so it's something that's outside of our budget, outside of our normal spending. Um, we a lot of times end up going overseas with something like that. We've built some clean water wells, we've built build some orphanages, and uh, even though we're a small group of people, I'm always very excited at how generous everyone can be to help those who uh, need it most. And this year, we actually decided to kind of focus on our own community. And we know that food and food security is a big deal right now, and that some of our local agencies have been stretched really thin. And the leadership team at Ecclesia got together and decided to support uh, Edward Street Fellowship Center, um, who, of course, has an amazing food pantry, a med free medical clinic. Um, <clears throat> just does all kinds of great work. So we asked all of you guys to consider setting aside some money and putting that um, together and giving it towards that. And uh, to be honest, we were very unsure about how this year would look. We were not meeting in person. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the best year in general for charities and churches financially, although uh, you guys have been very generous, have been great this year um, and everything's going smoothly. We, we've still been able to pay our childcare workers each week, even though we weren't meeting because we know they depend on that check. And that's just because you guys have been giving out of your pocket to make sure that they're still being taken care of. And so thank you so much for all of that. Um, but we uh, wanted to raise some money. We had a couple different things that happened. One, we became aware of a, uh, we know about a grant uh, that we could access to get some food. And so we went ahead and, and spent about $12,000 on turkeys and hams. Uh, that we gave to um, to Edward Street and then uh, put that money out there, uh, believing that we would get that money back. And uh, and we did, which was great. So that grant came in. So we got to kind of give a free $12,000 in food. And then we asked you guys just to give on top of that. And I am uh, really happy to say that you guys gave uh, $11,700 plus dollars. Uh, that we then got to write a check and give to Edward Street Fellowship Center so they continue doing the good work they are doing. So thank you. Thank you very much for being so generous. Thank you very much for um, thinking about those who are most in need uh, during this time. Uh, and just thank you for being the kind of community that um, even in a year where everyone it feels like is kind of contracting a little bit and trying to and working out of self-protection, you are still thinking about um, others and serving. And um, I'm just grateful to get to be a part of things with you guys. So um, that was good news. So really all, all in all, almost $24,000 worth of uh, food and money given to Edward Street. And so um, 
thank you for the leadership team and thank you for all of you at Ecclesia. Um, all right, so we, uh, we've been moving through the book of Mark uh, in the lectionary text, and uh, today's text is um, one of those uh, somewhat messy ones in the New Testament because there's uh, demons and exorcisms and all kinds of stuff, and depending on where you come from and what your um, religious or church history might be, uh, those are those can be very uh, uncomfortable kind of passages. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that what I'm what I'm not going to do this week is spend any time really trying to, um, you know, make exorcism make sense for you. In other words, um, there's lots of conversations to be had about back in the pre-scientific times that this was written. What did they call demon possession? What did they really mean? What would driving out a demon actually look like? Is it something that used to happen but no longer happens? Is it just what they called certain kind of illnesses that now we have different names for, some combination of the two. And there's, there's a lot of room to talk there and a lot of interesting things to think about. Um, that's just not really what I want to spend time on today. Um, I, I want to, uh, if you struggle with the idea that there's like literal demons inside a literal person that got literally exercised, that's okay. Um, take this symbolically then. I'm okay with that for this week. You know, we'll just, we, we can deal with those issues later on. Uh, I, I want to get at the kind of the truth of this text, not like precisely scientifically how it's true, if that makes sense. So, um, and uh, I, also just to be very blunt with you, um, I just I just didn't have the kind of time I, I would have liked to have taken on this text this week. Um, I spent some time with family. We're trying to get uh, home health set up for my mother and all kinds of things. It was it was kind of a long week and strangely, um, I don't know. I just I just couldn't get to everything, and, and, which is fine. And so um, I feel like there's more uh, juice left to be squeezed out of this. So I, I go ahead and confess to you right off the bat that I don't think we I don't think I fully unpacked this today. And so maybe this can be one of those uh, choose your own adventure, write your own ending. Uh, kind of sermons where you can take the things that we're going to talk about and then uh, mull around and think about how maybe you might um, finish this sermon out if you feel like there's more to be said here, right? Which there almost certainly is. So uh, we're in Mark 1, we're in verses 21 through 28, and here's what it says. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. Now this is, in, in Mark, this is the first time he's doing really a public teaching ministry. He's uh, been baptized, heard from God, been to the desert, faced all the temptations, went out, called disciples um, uh, to follow him, and now he's kind of doing his first public teaching. So uh, he entered the synagogue and he taught. Verse 22, they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one, uh, as one having authority and not as the scribes. Kind of hurts a little bit if you're one of the scribes. Um, but they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as one of the scribes. Just as there was in the synagogue, just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. 
So he's going and he's teaching in the synagogue. They were astounding at his, at his teachings because it, was one of, uh, it had authority unlike the scribes they normally hear from. Uh, and then in the synagogue, there's this man with an unclean spirit. He cries out, Jesus cast out the demon. And there's so much here. I mean, honestly, even as I'm reading it right now, a whole nother sermon comes to mind. Like just the idea that it doesn't look like this, this uh, person with the demon comes running in naked and screaming and going crazy in the middle of a synagogue service, interrupting it. It sounds like he's just part of the synagogue. Like he's just in there, uh, but he's got this unclean spirit. And then he kind of cries out to Jesus in the midst of this authoritative teaching. Um, there's probably a, a whole sermon right there about whether or not um, demons can be comfortable in your church, right? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I'm just thinking about, uh, I'm thinking about, again, and I've gone back to this a lot lately, I'm thinking about all these people walking uh, into the Capitol building and, and beating the police officers and chanting hang pence and all this stuff that are also praying in the Capitol room and uh, carrying signs that have Jesus' name on it and doing what they're doing in the name, in the name of Jesus, right? Uh, and, and the idea that that spirit somehow lives in churches. There's there, those people apparently are churchgoers. They sit in a church, and what they hear, in no way compromises uh, their ability to do that or think about doing that. Right. So, uh, extra sermon here. So that's I mean that's that's an interesting idea to me that we should watch out for what kind of uh, what kind of spirits are comfortable uh, in our churches. Um, anyways. Uh, yeah, that, that should trouble us if uh, if your if your church doesn't say anything or do anything that would make that person uh, question whether or not they should be uh, doing what they're doing. Anyways, but but there's some interesting things that are happening here, and uh, that was not the intended sermon, and just just goes to show that ADHD even exists when you're by yourself in a room recording something. So. Um, I think one of the things that really kind of struck me that, that I'm going to go with this week, although there's obviously a lot here, is, is this kind of lack of space in this story between um, teaching and the miracle, right? Teaching and what Jesus ends up doing by casting out this demon. Because um, if this story were to take place today, and in, in today's mindset, the way we think, it really kind of wouldn't make sense, right? Because... Um, we don't think we have separated out uh, teaching from acting and doing, right? We separated out teaching from powerful acts of mercy or healing. Those two things are very separate things. And what you see here is Jesus gets up to teach. They say he's got a, and, and then the authority of teaching uh, and the, what they are so amazed by um, is attached to what he does, right? Um, attached to what he does. They're amazed and they kept asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Um, he even commands the unclean spirits to come out. Um, if I, if I right now in front of a group of people literally cast out some demons or healed someone who had never walked and they were walking in or any of those kind of things, we wouldn't even talk about that as teaching. We would talk about that as basically, you know, a, a magic trick or talk about that as some kind of miracle. And we don't think about teaching and those works as the same thing. They're kind of used interchangeably in what is an odd way. This, the scripture, to me, in my modern ears, reads strangely, right? Because we've, we've just separated those things out from each other, right? To, to our minds, you can be a great teacher. You can teach all the right things. You can be com completely right in what you are saying and teaching. 
and actually have no power and not be doing anything, right? Those are separate things. There's a deep divide between teaching and healing, right? I mean, again, if this happened today, we would freak out over the miracle and wouldn't even refer to the teaching here. Um, or maybe someone examined the details of the teaching and decided if they agreed or disagreed with them, and then maybe they would uh, disavow the miracle altogether if they didn't fall in line uh, on their teaching. I mean, I think historically we have let these things be separated, and maybe this story demonstrates to us that they're not supposed to be at all. Um, for us, teaching authority is kind of... Um, like if, to say a teaching is good or teaching has authority is to say it's very orthodox, that it checks all the right boxes, that it's intellectually sound and theologically astute and, and it has all those things, right? Uh, it has nothing to do with practice. It has nothing to do with what's actually happening in the world because of it, right? Um, so I, I, grew up in a, I grew up in a fairly conservative uh, denomination uh, that was very kind of theologically rigid, right? We studied theology a lot and we had these certain points of theology that everything kind of rode on. And, um, and so we felt very good about who we were and how secure we were in our faith and how we had the right answers. That was just kind of what I grew up in, right? So uh, my church knew about the, uh, the charismatic churches in town too. And you couldn't get more different from us in those charismatic churches. And um, we knew that those charismatic churches had no real authority, right? Um, they didn't believe in the finer points of theology that we did, that we thought were, you could not divorce from anything else, right? So they didn't believe in those few points of theology. Um, they didn't uh, respectfully sit completely frozen <laughs> during the service, uh, as all good Christians uh, did, right? Very disrespectful. Um, they would... Uh, you know, raise their hands or, or do any of those kind of things, right? Um, they would yeah, have their drums in church. Drums in church? Are you kidding me? Yes, that, there's no authority, you know, with that kind of blasphemy, right? Um, another big one for us is uh, some of them, they allowed women to preach. And that was, I mean, inconceivable uh, in the tradition I grew up in, right? I mean, they allowed women to preach, which means they didn't really actually believe the Bible, right? I mean, they could have resurrected someone in front of us and we would have found a way to make that uh, evil and non-orthodox and unchristian right because um, they just didn't have authority because um, they didn't believe the right things uh, they didn't check the right boxes their teaching um, their teaching and their acts and whatever they might do those were very separate things and one disqualified the other right and and you know of course, I ended up with friends that were part of the charismatic tradition and uh, some whose parents were like uh, ministers and stuff in the tradition. And um, the truth is they knew that our, my church had no authority, right? We recited these written prayers. Uh, we didn't really even really talk to God ourselves. We were just reading what other people had written. We didn't speak in tongues and we didn't raise our hands. So we weren't really filled with God's spirit. We didn't go door to door and, and you know, really vigorously evangelized people. And so uh, you know, our church might very well feed and clothe and love and support people. We might very well do wonderful acts of mercy in the community. We could do all those, but we had no authority um, because uh, our orthodoxy uh, disjoined us um, 
from what was legitimate in their eyes. Like we, there was no real spirit behind it to them. Um, because these things kind of are attention to each other and one disqualifies the other. They aren't really the same thing. And, and nowadays, you know, it's really, we're probably less, this happens less because of our denominational affiliations than probably our uh, political affiliations. That seems to be how we let ourselves get defined so easily nowadays. You know, our orthodoxy comes more from politics than denominations. Uh, um, <coughs> if you're a conservative person, a, a, a liberal could be committed to justice and acts of mercy and reconciliation and, and all kinds of wonderful things in the world. But um, because they are liberal, because uh, their teaching is wrong, they're going to be a Marxist, critical race, commie, socialist, fascist, right? Uh, never mind that some of those things <laughs> don't even work together. And then the same is true on the other side. And you don't get to get off on the other side because you're, you know, on the liberal side of things. Uh, if you're liberally minded, then someone who's very conservative maybe is giving and loving and sacrificing in this world and providing for people and loving them deeply. But uh, deep down, the liberals know they're just intolerant bigots, right? And so um, we have all been convinced that authority comes from our orthodoxy, um, uh, not from what we are doing in this world not from the healing that takes place because of who we are in the world, right? And I, and I learned this really well on my last job because I, um, I traveled all over the state working with food pantries and, and food insecurity. And uh, to be honest, a large percentage of the people I ended up working with were people after just a few minutes of casual conversation, I just, I just knew we deeply disagreed about things like theology, we deeply disagreed about things like politics, um, that they were um, those kind of people, right? Uh, that if I was just in a chat room or on Facebook or something like chat room, I've been in a chat room in 20 years, but uh, Facebook or Twitter, they'd be getting made fun of by this group of people or they'd be you know, fighting back and forth. But the truth is that they were doing these amazing acts of mercy. They were feeding people and they were waking up every day living just to put food in the stomachs of those who didn't have it, right? And... Um, you could make fun of those conservatives or make fun of those liberals all you want or think that they're terrible people. But the truth is the world is better because they were there and because of how they were behaving in the world. And I, I remember trying to reconcile that um, a little bit because I wanted to disqualify um, how they were living in the world because of what they believed. Um, because the teaching, the orthodoxy, and the practice, the orthopraxy were very separate things to me. Um, and Jesus doesn't allow for this separation. Uh, in fact, I would say Jesus greatly um, weighs one of these things over the other. I mean, if you remember uh, in Matthew and Luke, I think the story takes place, but in Matthew, for sure, in chapter 11, John the Baptist is arrested. And um, I don't, we don't know if he's having a crisis of faith or what exactly is going on, but he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, like, so you really are the one. You're the one we're waiting for, right? And, and how does Jesus respond? Does he respond with the few points of theology that are most important? Or, hey, tell him, let him, let him know what I'm teaching so he knows that my teachings are orthodox. No, in Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6, he says, uh, he says, when John the Baptist was in prison, he heard what Jesus was doing. He sent his followers. They asked, are you the one who was to come or should we look for another? Jesus said to them, go tell John what you see and hear. The blind are made to see, those who could not walk are walking, those who had bad skin diseases are healed, those who could not hear are hearing, the dead are raised up to life, and the good news is preached to poor people. 
He is, he is happy who is not ashamed of me and does not turn away because of me, right? So when John the Baptist wants to know, is this really the Messiah? Is, this, is there real authority here? Jesus points to what is happening to those around him. Jesus points to those who are suffering. Jesus points to those who are poor and outcast. Jesus points to those who are left out and shows how it's good news to them, how there's healing there for them, how uh, bad spirits are chased out by the good spirits. Like Jesus points to those things as his authority. And in this story, there is no delineation between um, authoritative teaching and healing, authoritative teaching and, and, and acts of mercy in this world. Right? They, they work with each other. They're all part of the same thing. They give each other authority. And so I'm not going to spend much more time on this, but I just, I just want us to make sure that we don't divorce those two things that Jesus puts together, right? We are left asking ourselves, um, what kind of authority do we have? What kind of authority do we have? Are our words just that? Do we believe the right things? Do we have the right opinions about um, the Bible and about the scriptures and about politics and about policies? Do we have all the right opinions? Can we out-argue people? Do we have it all, all of our orthodoxy in line? Terrific. But are our words just that? Or are we in the healing business? Does the faith that we teach and the faith that we practice um, drive out the destructive spirits or does it accommodate them can those destructive spirits sit comfortably in our churches or are they called out for what they are because of who we are what we say and what we do in this world because at the end of the day i do think we're supposed to be in the exorcism business that we are, uh, that we do not plant our flags on being right. We do not locate our authority in uh, proper orthodoxy. But we plant our flags in, in the practice of making a difference for our neighbors. We plant our flag uh, in the love and grace that changes people and drives out the demons, right? That we don't just do life in the normal spirit and sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top of it to make it look better or make it palatable. But we are instead living and teaching in a way that doesn't leave space for the demons. That the spirit with which we do these things is a spirit of love and grace and peace, right? Of gentleness and self-control and all of these things. Because the truth is being right is a poor, poor substitute for making things right. And we are in the making things right line of business. I think there's probably more there, but honestly, that, that's all I've got. <laughs> Maybe we just take some time to think about, um, I mean, honestly, the world just needs a lot less of people believing they're right and a lot more of people trying to make things right. Uh, may we be the latter and not the former. Okay. Peace be with you.